always have the belief there's room to do something better. If any race was going to happen this year, any ultra race, the Barclay was the one that was going to happen. Nothing is ever as black and white or as do or don't when it comes to training, either physical or mental. People can take some stuff from this then, all the better. Hi, welcome to the first episode of the Pylon Ultra Pod. We've had a number of discussions over the past few years about doing a podcast as we feel we're in a good position to talk about running and to talk about personal development, being competitive ultra runners and coaches. We also have a great community out there and with everything that's happening right now with the whole COVID virus, it pushed us to stop delaying and planning and to take some action and really try to use this as a way of helping our athletes and the wider community to feel a little bit more connected. So we'd normally only go ahead with something that we had fully planned in advance. We don't have a full editorial plan in place at the moment, but we do intend to talk more about the people, the places, the culture and the training behind our ultra running lives. We always strive to do things to our best possible standard, but in, obviously in all this chaos, we're putting this out and whilst we won't have everything as slick as we would like it to be, uh, we're prepared to be vulnerable and we'll learn and we'll improve and we hope you'll take something from it. So in this episode, I'm joined by James Stewart, GB 24-hour runner and senior pylon coach, and we're planning to talk about mindset and how the way we think and operate can help or hinder us in difficult times like these where races are cancelled and it can be challenging to stay motivated for training. We also have a few questions from athletes which we'll discuss later on in the episode. So without further ado, here's episode one of the Pylon Ultra pod. Hi James, thanks so much for co-hosting this episode. It's episode one of many more, I hope. Are you nervous or excited? I am both, Paul. So thanks so much for asking me to be involved. It's, you know, you you mentioned that earlier, we could have planned this to the nth degree and got it really slick, got the perfect equipment, the perfect question set, the perfect setup. And there's a bit of nerves about not having got to that, but I'm excited about to see where the conversation takes us and just to see how this grows. So kind of a bit of both and I'm looking forward to the chat. Brilliant. So I'll just kick off then. I've got a couple of questions that I would like to talk to you about really. Um, Mindset is something that you're uh, really quite sharp on uh, on a personal level and as well with your athletes and uh, in your work environment as well, I'm sure. So obviously this is a tricky time for athletes at the moment. And you could argue it's even more challenging for endurance athletes as normal training plans are even more disrupted than, than some others, you could argue. So, for example, the staple longer runs are, are restricted at the moment. We've had lots of races cancelled, the Highland Fling, Western States 100, the West Highland Way, Labarido, the list goes on and on and on. And I wondered if you could maybe give me an idea of what that devastation has looked like for you and your athletes. Yeah, of course. And you're absolutely right. We've never seen anything like this um, in our lifetimes in terms of just the, the, the sheer level of cancellation and impact. Maybe foot and mouth is something that had a, a similar impact, but that that was for different reasons. Yeah. That was about not accessing the countryside. Right. This, is, this is beyond that, yeah. Um, so in terms of how it's looked for me, I was due to race the Centurion Track 100 in mid-April. And I was super excited about that. There was a stellar field. We know Elson and the team put on a brilliant event. They're always really sharp about what they're doing. The test event last year looked brilliant and I'd trained all winter for that. 
and it gets taken away from you. Or at least that's how you can look at it, depending on the, the kind of mindset you apply. And I'm sure we'll come back to that. So that, for me personally, was quite, it was quite a blow. But at the same time, very quickly, you move to the perspective of why. And it's 100% the right reason. And for my athletes, it's been really interesting seeing the, the wide range of emotions that they've gone through. And each individual reacts differently to some of this stuff. So we've had athletes who have have been in the shape of their life, worked hard all winter, were ready to take on, say, the Flying or London Marathon or some of the upcoming races. We had a couple of guys who actually managed to sneak in the, the D-side 33 just before yeah. the shutters come yeah. down. Um, but they were just bridging races towards bigger goals for those guys. Whereas now, there's a lot of people kind of really trying to realign and reignite a sense of purpose about what their training is about just, just now. And the emotions they've gone through have been quite varied and, and wide. Yeah, I think I've definitely seen the same across my athletes too. And I worked on a presentation this week for our athletes mostly. And I'd heard a conversation, a podcast really, effectively, a guy was talking about uh, the situation that we're in at the moment and it feeling like we're all in this grief process or we're all going through this grief process, which is quite an interesting way to look at it, I thought. And there's these five stages, you know, you obviously want to get to the, the stage of far on the right, which is acceptance and you can move on, but there's lots of stages that come before that, like denial or anger. And I've seen that certainly from some of the athletes and I don't think that's ever a linear process either. I think you might get to one stage and then you feel differently the next day, you know, and you can see lots of ups and downs with athletes at the moment, I think. So we've had uh, plenty of conversations in the past about mindset and we've both done a number of presentations about growth mindsets in particular. Uh, a term that came from Carol Dweck's book on mindset. We've certainly talked about it at the Pylon Experience events. Can you maybe talk us through your interpretation of what a growth mindset is? Yeah, sure. Now, I think this subject is so wide, we could disappear down a, a whole number of rabbit holes. So kind of thinking about the question, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start with what it's not, first of all. Um, and then I'm going to explore, a, I think, a couple, of, a couple of segments of it that I think are super useful and I would like people to take away in the current climate and actually just in general. So what growth mindset isn't is fixed mindset. So if we talk a wee bit about that, it helps. It makes it easier for us to then understand the, the kind of really strong straits of growth mindset. So fixed mindset, if you think about it really simply and plainly, is when nothing can change. It is what it is. And I can do nothing. I can't influence it to make it any better. So I can't get any better. I can't get any faster or I can't get any longer in my runs. There's no improvement I can make. Everything will remain the way it is no matter what I try to do to that. So therefore I will do nothing as a result. So you end up in this kind of status quo of... Um, and for some people that's a status quo of mediocrity, right? Because yeah. they, they make no attempt in order to improve. But that's not because they don't want to. It's because they can't see how. Yeah. Um, so you end up anchoring yourself to a fixed point and this is a really common trait amongst people whether it be where you are in your career the amount of times people say I've reached the peak of my career I don't want any more yet two years later they might be in a new role and so on and so forth and when it comes to your running you might say that's it I've done a marathon and I'm never, I'll never run further than that and then before you know it the growth mindset might kick in you might kick down that fixed mindset and you're doing 24 hour races or 100 milers so yeah. I think it's really important to talk about that does that make sense? It does yeah I mean you you see it in individual athletes sometimes you know there's people that will just automatically say to you well I'm not good at speed work I don't do speed work or I'm rubbish on hills before they've even spent any time to try and invest you know their effort to get better at those things they're saying that automatically so I think there's definitely limiting themselves uh, quite early on uh, so I was thinking um, around this growth mindset then 
Why do you think it's important now and when we all get back to racing again when the calendar opens up? Right, okay, let me let me just explore kind of probably two key traits I'd like to draw out on growth mindset, right? Which is you always have the belief there's room to do something better or to improve or different. And you might reach the limit of your potential. Like Usain Bolt, for example, won't get any faster over 100 metres. He's accepted that, he retired, but he's moved the mindset on other pursuits. So it's not, back to your point about linear, it doesn't always have to be in the same pursuit because it could yeah. be something else. It could be writing a book, it could be learning a musical instrument. It doesn't matter because it's all about that wider growth. But when it comes to running, two key things I think are important right now and going forward in growth mindset. One is a trait of optimism, the belief that you can influence and improve or do something that will have a beneficial impact on the, the you know the the future for you and two curiosity and that curiosity piece is super super important right now because we have the opportunity not everyone has because the the situation right now might mean that your time um, starved rather than time rich if you're working as a key worker or in a hospital or something like that for example but curiosity fused with optimism is like fuel to the fire and it can make a massive difference about your you know your future prospects so i'll give you a bit of an example about that um if you're a runner who runs mainly on the road and you want to get stronger on the hills and you may be stronger on the trails you may be eyeing up a, a trail race next year whether it be a short one long one or whatever then now you, if you believe you can't improve on the trails, then you'll probably never go on them. But if you're an optimist who believes that if you put effort in and you will improve on the trails, you'll go on and you'll maybe struggle to begin with, but you'll see those incremental improvements and you will be curious about what it takes to make those improvements stick or to make those improvements more likely. And you might do some reading, you might watch some podcasts, you might watch Kelly and run down the scree field at Hard Rock and say, I'm for some of that, you would be off yeah. your head. But, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. So when you fuse those two things together, the belief and the curiosity, the curiosity gives you answers that makes the belief come true yeah yeah I, I i agree with what you're saying i but i also trying to put myself in the mindset of the athlete at the moment who maybe isn't quite as focused as you are in terms of mindset so they're saying yeah james i, I don't disagree with anything that you've said there but do you know what's happening at the moment you know things are really terrible at the moment i don't have any races what's the point it feels terrible so i wondered if you had any real kind of short sharp actionable points that people could take away from this conversation and start doing tomorrow when they step out of bed well, yeah, I mean, you, you, you mentioned step out of bed right away there. I think that's a really important point because routine is going to be super important right now in terms of being able to then take advantage of that. So we talked about people being potentially time rich. So a lot of people have no longer got a commute to work, which might be giving them an hour to two hours back every day. So you can either use that for a whole range of things. Now, you might be using that to have an extra hour in bed because you need that stillness and choosing to be still is actually an action. It's, it's not an action. It's challenging for people though, isn't it? It's, it's particularly challenging at the moment and it's maybe more, it's almost more obvious at the moment, like you said, because you've got that extra time, but you're just filling it with stuff the whole time, whether it's Zoom calls or picking up emails or, you know, whatever it is. We feel like we have to be doing something all the time. And, and that's a it's a very Western culture thing. I was listening to um, a podcast the other day and there was this Buddhist monk was actually saying, stillness is the first source of creativity and invention because you give yourself a chance to absorb everything that's going on around you and then turn that into 
the next most productive action as opposed to the next action. So you're right. We don't take stillness seriously. We end up just firing out emails and we just churn them. But it's, it's, the, it's the factory equivalent of just hammering the wall with a hammer rather than bringing a machine in to do it. Stillness, get, stillness gives you answers. But the second thing is, is though, is whilst we're a wee bit more time rich because we've got limited amount of time, you mentioned the, the long run earlier, which has kind of turned into a medium run for a lot of people because people are nervous about being out too long. You can choose to turn that time into something else that gives you a competitive advantage as part of your your you know your future running prospects or what even your future life prospects. Now that doesn't mean I mean I've seen some stuff on social media from some of these you know thinkers and it's like ah oh, if you don't come out of this crisis with a new skill then you've failed through laziness. No, that's not true. Actually, your new skill might be to meditate and relax, Do or this. your new skill. Exactly. You know, that whole slow down to speed up kind of mantra. And a lot of people are doing that just now. And I think that's really important. But what you can do now is target for a period of time, a real area you might want to improve in as an athlete. And routine will help you with that because routine gets you out of bed, brushing your teeth as soon as you get up the way you would normally do, um, going for a shower, getting yourself set up for your day, switching your laptop or your computer off at the right time of day and not just floating through those extra hours, which is really easy to do because we need that sense of purpose. Doing all of that, but then also choosing maybe one or two things that you would like to improve upon um, in order to become a better athlete or even just a better human. So someone texted me earlier on, actually, and the individual was talking about some very different race goals for October than they had for April. Effectively going from a 53-mile trail race with seven and 8,000 feet again to a road marathon and trying to take 15 minutes off their PB. Yeah. So very quickly, we're starting to talk about very different training stimulus for that. But that works for him in the current climate because he's he's a wee bit time starved just now. So he's like, well, I can do a lot of shorter sessions just now, build up that speed and start working on endurance over the summer. Great, great way of thinking that far ahead rather than just drifting through the summer, getting to July or something. This is all over, hopefully, um, and start entering races on a whim already looking at a focus i really like that and that's the kind of thing that i think someone with a growth mindset is thinking about just now and those are the kind of things i would advise people to just consider as they they work their way through the current situation yeah i mean i guess some of that is uh, based on good communication too isn't it um it, it you could argue it's easier for me to to pick up new things and work on new things because i'm living on my own i don't have the same level of commitments that other people have you know people are homeschooling and managing family and making sure the family feel positive and everything else that you've got to do as well as your work and training um so i'm kind of keen to ask you the question about how you best manage that at home you know you you need to have that time committed that you can train and, and you continue to do so and, and put the time in there, not just in your running, but mobility and everything else around it. Um, so it, I think it may be useful for people to hear how, how you best manage that with the family and, and, and make those sacrifices and make it all work. Yeah, right. I kind of coined a phrase the other day when I was talking to someone about this is from frustration comes opportunity. So race is cancelled. I have to be in the house at night now. I'm not allowed out more than once a day or, um, you know, there's implications to that. And we all want to get through this as quickly as possible. So that's a frustration, but there's opportunity comes from that. So 
Point one is I've maintained my training routine, which is to run in the morning before work and to be ready to start work at the time I normally would be. And what that's done is it's helped me keep my focus. It's so easy, Paul, that if you think, oh, well, I don't need I don't need to log on at nine o'clock or whatever it is. So actually, I'll do my run a wee bit later. And before you know it, you've lost the time and you kind of lose the, the sharpness, the edge that comes with it. Yeah. So that's back to the routine point from earlier. But importantly as well, I've got um, a wife who's massively supportive and without Louise, I would never be able to achieve half the stuff I have done. And I've got two boys as well. And what's important there is, is there a bit of quid pro quo, but it all starts with the word you mentioned earlier, which is communication. So yeah. work out what your intent and what your, your aims are and then talk about it in partnership with the people, whether it be your coach, your friends, the people you live with, whether it's your partner, your kids, or even just flatmates or housemates. Talk about what that intention looks like and work out a solution to be able to go and work to it. And where frustration created opportunity for me is I have for a long time wanted to get involved in strength and yoga classes. But my work routine just didn't afford me the opportunity to do that, whether it be a bit of travel through the week or not getting home from work till a bit later. And by the time you have your dinner, you really don't want to be out um, running because you want to spend some time with the family. But now that I've got more time at home, I'm kind of logged off at five o'clock and I can spend a bit of time with the family then instead of that hour commute home. Yeah. And now I'm doing three strength classes a week, um, which you've organized through Matt Hunter, which have been absolutely brilliant. And I'm trying to do a couple of online yoga classes a week, things that I wouldn't do if I was allowed to leave the house. Yeah. So my choice, my choice could have been whack on Netflix and just veg, or actually there's new resources and new opportunities and innovations that have come to us through the Zoom Boom which has given me the opportunity to improve in two areas where I think I'm particularly weak. Is that a new term, James? The Zoom Boom? I like it. I heard that for the first time on a podcast today and I'm I'm taking it. Yeah, nice one. Um, I, yeah, I guess it comes down to balance then because previously you spoke about finding some stillness and finding some space then, whereas uh, when we have the conversation later on about you fitting and training and family, everything seems very scheduled and it can be hard to find some space in there for yourself too to actually switch off and I know you'll do some of that when you're running and you'll do some of that in your easy runs where you're you know you're not so focused on everything and it's some time to yourself and I've, I've actually found that quite a lot with athletes I thought potentially over the last few weeks we'll have athletes saying well I don't really want to train whereas it's it's almost been the opposite you know people are saying I've got that one token to go outside and I'm going to use it and I'm going to use it on the thing that I love doing the most which is the running side of things uh, so it's been really interesting to see how different people react to things and how people are managing their days you know where that comes from though Paul that's like the the, the fear of scarcity because you only have one a day you can't bank them once it's gone it's gone so if you don't use it you lose it so scarcity actually can sometimes compel people into taking really positive action. And I think we're seeing that with some of the athletes. I've seen the exact same as you. It's like, I need to get my session in. What am I doing? Can you just fill this out for me? I definitely I definitely have felt that in the last week, even just personally when I'm out. I'm at times less focused that I'm out there actively training and it's been... I've been taking like real enjoyment out of running, you know, finding the joy in running again, which is really lovely to find some open space and some wind in your face and uh, because we kind of feel like we're trapped indoors all the time. Open spaces, wind in your face, out in the elements, growth mindset. Paul, all of those bring to mind to me something actually you've just gone through and I'm, I'm really keen to hear how you've handled a, a recent situation. So 
For anyone who's not aware, Paul was in Tennessee when things really started to ramp with the COVID-19 pandemic. And you were in Tennessee to take part in the Bartley Marathons, which was due to take place at the um, in the last week or so. And you're in quite rural America. It's not the most connected part of the world. And you get the news that the, the race has been cancelled. What emotions did you go through in that immediate moment? And what was your immediate actions after that to try and turn it into some sort of positive? Well, in, in the moment itself, it was really hard to hear it. Uh, the Barclay race obviously is quite unique. It's unique in terms of how they communicate with people and uh, the entry process and all that, which everybody's aware of. So we eventually got a message through uh, the, the private Facebook group saying that the race was cancelled. Having maybe gone through a week before that of yeah, the race is probably going to happen. Yeah, we think we can still do it. Uh, Tennessee State Parks are still saying it's okay for the event to go ahead as long as it's under 100 people. So there were conversations about uh, maybe reduce the number of people that can crew to keep the numbers down to under 100. It's not a normal race event. We're not inside at some kind of big expo at the start or anything. It's You're, you're basically in a campsite. Uh, so it, it really felt like if any race was going to happen this year, any ultra race, the Barclay was the one that was going to happen. And it, it, it kind of it fits with the whole history of the race, you know. They, they would have loved it almost to put the race on when everything else was cancelled. So I was still very hopeful that it was going to happen right up until the last minute. I really did think we were we had a chance for it to, to happen. And I had personally had made some really difficult decisions in going to Tennessee in the first place. Obviously, I'd known uh, I was going to be running the Barclay uh, the year before, towards the end of the year before, uh, and I'd made plans for that. But then everything that happened in January, in January we did our Pylon Endeavour, which was a huge project, and we came out of the back of that. Literally, I hadn't even got home to Chamonix, and then I had the news about my dad and uh, everything that happened then. I lost my dad, uh, long story short, towards the end of January, the start of February. Um, and I had to make a call on whether or not to go and do Barclay and go to Tennessee. I was obviously thinking, I'm going to have to leave my mum here. I don't want to leave my mum. But I also felt like it was my chance to do something that my dad might actually be proud of. So part of me felt compelled. I need to go out here and I need to find that space and I need to get in the park and I need to test myself to see, well, am I going to be able to react when things get really tough? Because I genuinely didn't know. So, and obviously for a period, there was two or three weeks there, I didn't train as normal and I'm super consistent with my training and I have been for, for 10 years. So that's probably the biggest inconsistency I've ever had in my training. So that kind of dents your confidence a wee bit too. So obviously we could see what was happening in Europe um, and a lot of Europe was in some kind of lockdown. And at that point, it didn't really feel like that was going to happen in the US. You know, it's like, it's easy when we look back now, we, we think lockdown kind of feels normal at the moment. Whereas if we'd had this conversation three weeks ago, you go, nah, there's no way we'll ever have to be locked in our houses and be able to go out once a day. Um, so things were moving really quickly in the end. Big cities, New York, and then big states, California, started locking things down. But where I was in Tennessee, there was there wasn't really much change. You could still get out. You could still go to the supermarket. Yeah, they were a bit short on toilet roll, but um, things hadn't really got to the same level as they are now. You know, so I guess in short, I was I was gutted to to finally read that the race wasn't going to happen. I felt like I had failed before I'd even started. I hadn't gotten to the start line, uh, and I'd sacrificed quite a lot and gone through quite a lot of suffering 
um, to get myself ready to race and I, I did feel like I was ready to go and give Bartley my best possible uh, effort really and, and since then clearly you had a bit of a kind of planes, trains and automobiles journey to get back home and um, obviously getting your, your flights sorted out and then coming into Britain and coming through different airports and all of that stuff what's that done to your own motivation for this period we're in now? It's been tricky, James. It's uh, I've had a lot of time on my own. I've had a lot of time um, to maybe try and think about what's happened with my family and, and all those other circumstances. Although when I got to Tennessee, I, I got very focused on the park and, and concentrating on the navigation and spending as many hours as I could in the park. And, and I partly switched off then because that became the thing for me to focus on. It was the only thing that was driving me forward and the only thing that was keeping me going. So then all of a sudden that's taken away from you you know all the plans I'd put in place and Bar- because Barclay's so unique it's not just that it's um, all the navigation work you've got to do uh, all the kit you've got to have ready and the planning and people coming over to crew for you and everything else it's it, it's a huge investment of your time and effort and energy and then to lose all that uh, was very difficult and then you've got this well I need to I need to get home in some capacity and you I couldn't get back to France so well, I want to get back to Scotland. I want to be closer to my mum uh, and get that sorted. So that was difficult. But it feels like already we're settling into some kind of new normal, if you like. And and obviously we're not going to be in a situation forever, which is great. But at the moment, it, it feels a little bit more settled. And I think there's big opportunities in this that we can be, as a whole, we can be much smarter about these kind of global issues now. And maybe we have further conversations about global warming out of the back of this you know and, and people uh, feel a bit more connected by it potentially uh, and we'll maybe put a little less emphasis on outcomes and maybe if the process is something that really lights you up so the process of me learning or relearning to navigate properly in difficult terrain maybe if we concentrate on the process then it doesn't matter so much if the outcome isn't what we expected at the end you know so I'll certainly be much more grateful for the places that I'm lucky enough to choose to spend my time in. I'm glad I pushed on even after the announcement. So we had the announcement, I think it was like late afternoon. I'd been in the park that day. I wanted to complete a section, that one of the sections that were left to do effectively that I hadn't spent a lot of time in. I came in, I got that message. I was disappointed, I was gutted. I had a couple of conversations with people. But then the next day, I went back to the park because there was another couple of wee bits I wanted to do in the park already. Even though I knew the race was cancelled, I just wanted to get back there um, and finish a couple of extra challenges. So I, in my head, I wanted to complete the job that I'd set out to. So I, I'd set in my head that I want to be as ready as possible to race at the start of the Barclay 2020. So I still felt like I had a couple of days of things that I needed to do. So I did that and I spent the time in the park and I... I, I felt better for it, even though it was painful thinking about not having the opportunity to race. I was still moving on in some way and still doing something relatively productive, I think. And it's really interesting listening to you. If, I, if you wind back there a wee bit, you talked about your kind of hopes for the future here and you started talking about the good things that might come from what is currently a horrendous situation. So looking back over what's been a tumultuous first few months of the year for you, Paul, with everything that's going on through Endeavour, your dad passing... Bartley, Bartley being cancelled and your approach to it. What's the one thing you've learned about yourself in that period? I've learned about myself, but I've also learned about how we react to things as a group of people and, and as a collective uh, effectively. I think I think we have an incredible capacity to adapt um, and we 
almost going back to your point about having this fixed mindset lots of people have this fixed fixed mindset that i don't like change and i don't like not knowing what the outcome is going to be before i start we actually most of us will probably say that but see when we're forced into this situation where we really have to adapt amazing things can happen and you're seeing it all the time now you know there's some really creative things going on at the moment uh, and i think uh, we should be very positive about the opportunities that are here because out of this chaos I think there's so much good that can come out of it so I was I'm I'm impressed with with how people can adapt and on a on a personal level I just feel like I've been hit time and time again you know three or four times this year of things that have been pretty devastating Um, when I when I look back in 15 or 20 years time these these will be moments in my life that I'll definitely never forget you know challenging times but I'm still here and I'm still being positive and I'm already, you know, I, I, I went to Frozen Head State Park six more times after I was told I wasn't going to be able to race. Six more times because I was thinking about, well, I'm going to be back here in 2021 and I'm going to be even more ready than I thought I could be for 2020. So for me, it, it was it's an ability to just continue to take small steps to you know, uh, for the purpose of a bigger drive. So I'm still really focused on the Barclay and I still have to go back there. I made mistakes the previous year and and I wanted to do this partly to try and make my dad proud as well. And I'm disappointed that I never had this opportunity just now, but I'm hanging on to the fact that I can still go back there and I can still take positive steps now. So in some ways I'm thinking there's nobody ever in the history of the Barclay had more than 12 months to prepare for the race. So I'm um, I'm in a good position, uh, and I'm and I'm and I'm excited about next year still, even though we've got all this going on and 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 there has been a level of disappointment. Brilliant, and you know when you were talking about all of that, there was a phrase that I, I love that really sprung to mind: that necessity becomes the mother of invention. Yeah, and we're we're in a position just now where necessity is really deep, and invention is really incredible. I think that was the term I was trying to use the other day, James, when we made the conversation. That was the one. I did I did quote it to you, but I just said it really badly. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. So thanks for remembering it. Good. Will we move on to the listener question? So as I mentioned earlier on, we have some questions that were sent into us. We'll probably only take one for the moment, James, and we'll keep this episode on track and relatively short which was our initial ambition uh, so enough about Barclay let's take a question from our community I think we should call it the community question time bum, bum, bum. what do you think James community question time love it <laughs> right I'll just play this now hi Paul it's Robbie here um, I thought I'd put a question to your potential podcast So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Robbie Drummond. I started running about six years ago, uh, and this year I turned 50 and had an absolutely brilliant year. I set personal bests at 10k, half marathon, marathon, and in the iconic 97 miles West Highland Way. All because I pulled brilliant advice and guidance, but also because for the first time in a number of years, I actually had a full year of training without injury which was um, just fabulous. Which really brings me to my question. Um, I'm a big fan of the Science of Ultra podcast. Uh, Two weeks ago, they had on there a professor from St. Andrews University who was very old school, very Scottish, uh, and quite entertaining. Uh, I particularly liked his quote, that if you're not five minute miling, it doesn't really count. So I thought that was quite, uh, quite interesting. Um, But the crux of his argument was that 
there was no need to schedule rest. If athletes needed rest, that was absolutely the right thing to do, but it wasn't necessary to schedule it in. And I know that's not the advice that you give. You're very keen on making sure people have the right level of rest. So was his advice aimed at elites? And clearly I'm not an elite. I know many of your, your athletes are not elite either. So how do you balance off the need for continual improvement um, against the need for the body to recover and not become injured? So I'm very interested to see how your, your team would respond to that question. So uh, thank you very much and um, speak to you again soon. Bye. So James, you're obviously an avid podcast listener. I think we've probably both listened to that episode and it might have been a slightly different episode, but I've definitely listened to a similar argument around uh, scheduling and rest days and stuff. And, and we've certainly had conversations about that. So have you got any initial thoughts? Yeah, I've, I've got a few. Um, I, I guess the first point is, is and it's, it's a kind of bit of sit in the fence statement, right? But nothing is ever as black and white or as do or don't when it comes to training, either physical or mental. Because what, what works for one doesn't work for the other. You know, what's good for the goose is not good for the gander and all that stuff. And and I guess in this point, right away, you hear the the, the point here that, that this chap's talking about if you're not five-minute mile and you're not training. Well, then right away, this advice clearly is grounded in not applying to maybe some of the wider community of runners yeah and the chat can be a bit one-sided so i th i think there's a lot of really good stuff in in the conversation i had a, a good listen to the podcast and I, i'm a real big fan of sean bearden's podcast it's really good and i've picked up a lot from it over the years and a lot of what he talks about is grounded in science and some of it's really true from a physiological point of view but is it true from a mental point of view? And that's something I think we should explore because not only are we talking about can my body recover, and Robbie mentions that in his question, but can my mind? I take Robbie as a good example. Robbie has got um, a, a massive job that he does, and which must be quite chaotic just now with everything that's going on with the, the, the wider environment working in the, the, with CalMac. And I don't think the advice takes into account the whole gamut of other things that people do. So... It really could apply. It really could, and actually, probably does apply to elite athletes because rest doesn't necessarily mean that you are sitting about doing nothing. It might mean that you're not running that day, but you might be doing some other form of training. And elite athletes are time rich, so they can do a lot more than someone who's got a real life role can do. So this starts to air towards this being really more for elite athletes, in my view. And stress is stress. I, I, I actually struggle with the point that there there aren't that many. Uh, full-time proper full-time ultra runners who are just doing that as their sole business their sole focus it's rare there's probably a handful of people doing that yeah and i think it almost applies more to them than it does even uh, you know people who are really competing at the sharp end but are managing other jobs and other things to keep them afloat you know i, I totally agree because like the physical and mental stress that we go through means that having a day where you're not having to get your stuff ready, get up early, fit it into your day, fit it around your family, having a day where you can go, I want to just have a lie in today, can make a big difference. And that respite can have a profound effect on your performance. So there might not be a physiological marker that goes alongside it, but there's a psychological one. And when it comes to our training, I, I, if, I, if I just play this through to me, four or five years ago, I'm quite happy to run seven days a week, run hard most of those days, working with you. But as I've got a bit older as well, we had this conversation last year where I'm like, I really value, unless I'm in peak training in the peak weeks, 
that extra rest day. And I would almost rather do an extra double day to have that full day off because with everything else that's going on, with family, with work, with other commitments, just knowing they've got a day where I don't need to think about it, I, I found that really beneficial. So yeah, I, I think it was almost. I think the the podcast was almost set up to be a little bit of clickbait, wasn't it? It was almost like you don't need to have a rest day, and people are going to listen to that. I think automatically, um, but I, I guess he's one of his main points. It was a wee bit more hidden. I felt was that people don't actually get rest on their rest day, and that's the issue. Um, and I think we're probably all guilty of that. You know, going back to some of the conversations we've already had about filling in that time with something else you know and i've actually seen that you're, you're actually quite a good example when it comes to that um, and i've looked back at a, a number of athletes having heard this question already um, in that people will say well you can get a better long run done for example if you have that uh, say you had your long your rest day on a friday and then you go in and you have a better long run so there's there's potentially a benefit there potentially but i've actually seen people having better workout sessions on the Thursday before because they know they're going into a rest day. So they've got more capacity almost, you know, and I've seen that across the board with athletes. It's a really good point. So I, th- I think the lesson is arguably accurate for your elite, your kind of top one, maybe less than 1% athletes, you know. But if you're a 50-something with no running history, this absolutely does not apply. Or even a 21-year-old who's recovering from serious injury. And I think the most important thing that Robbie didn't say in his question but really shines through is consistency. Robbie's talked about all those PBs this yeah. year at 50 year old, and it comes from one thing, consistency. And I've no doubt, and I'm a big advocate of it, that by scheduling in rest at the right times for Robbie's plan throughout the year, each week, you know, each block that you've got within there, whether it be one day, two days, or whatever it might be, has played a part in him being able to achieve that consistency because he's not run himself to failure. Yeah, I think it's an important point, and I've worked with Robbie on and off for for a few years, and I was working with him when he did have some injuries and stuff, and and the standout things to me really have been an improvement in communication too, and being able to actually run your easy sessions easy. And I know I don't know how many times I've said this, the elites are probably doing that. So when he talks about adding in, you know, going for an easy run on that day that you would normally have your rest day, they are running it easy. So it's not taxing on them at all necessarily, but it's giving them some more training stimulus, more amateur athletes, if you like. I don't like that term, amateur, but um they tend to run their easy runs, you know, at a medium to touching on tempo pace sometimes because I'm in a rush, I want to get 10k done, I need to get ready for work or whatever. So uh, I think that's an important point too. And and as a, as a coaching business, I don't think our aim is just about creating faster athletes or getting more people onto podiums or, you know, it's, it's more considered in terms of health, well-being and longevity. I would rather have athletes who love the sport and and want to continue running for 5, 10, 15 years that rather than just shining brightly for, for a very short period of time, you know? Well, Paul, we could, just taking this um, seven days a week, running hard, five-minute mile and all the time, we could very easily, and we, sh- we shouldn't name names on here, but we could spend through a whole bunch of ultra runners who have come in. Yeah. You've seen yeah. them for 18 months. They've shone like beacons, never to be heard of again. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with that, and and we don't necessarily have to name people, but we're all aware of those those types as well. But one other point that came out from from that podcast actually, which due to Robbie's question, just reminded me. I think there's some important points around the use of language sometimes, and maybe maybe I've been guilty of that sometimes that we, you know, we call these rest days or easy runs, and 
we're maybe not clear to people that those easy runs are still part of your training. You know, it's not like you're you're absolutely switching off and you're not thinking about your pace because they they are an important part of your training. They're they're as important as what we would class a workout session, which is you know intervals or hill reps or something as well. And and maybe the use of language sometimes we, we could all be a little bit sharper on that too necessarily. And and maybe. I don't know if it would make a huge difference, but I, I went through a period of not calling rest days rest days, but recovery days. And I think that's a small point, but in a recovery day, then I would suggest you would want to get some extra sleep, which is what you normally do on you know, on a Friday or something. And that's hugely valuable. You're not just necessarily filling up that space you've got. You're saying, right, on a Friday, I get an extra hour or an hour and 20 minutes in bed. And that's huge for you potentially going into a weekend of, of, of hard training, you know? It absolutely is. And that, that's why the wide range of factors like life your, you know, your athlete history, work, family, your current condition plays a part and why it's not as black and white as you either have them or you don't. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think uh, we've got another few questions, but I think we'll save them for the next episode, James, um, and we'll probably wrap it up there if you're okay with that for the first episode. How was it for you, James? You know what? I really enjoyed the chat. If nothing else, it's just good for me and you to get a, a, a nice good chat. And if people can take some stuff from this, then all the better. I'll be really excited to hear what people think. Cool. Before you go, I've got three snap questions for you. I've been a bit sneaky. You can do it to me next time. Unprepared. Totally unprepared. So are you ready? Go for it. You've got, you've got limited time on this. I'm going to start the stopwatch. So my question is, it's one question, but there's three parts. Okay. So three short answers I'm looking for. What's the best thing you've seen, read, and heard this week the best thing i've seen read and heard this week okay the best thing i have seen was the sunrise on it was either tuesday or wednesday morning and i was up over croy hill nice and when you're up there uh-huh. because the clocks have changed you've got a different different yep. time the sun's coming up and it was just glorious and i got to wear my new shades did you instagram it james yeah, I did. <laughs> of course I did. <laughs> of course. But it didn't happen unless you yeah. Instagram. Otherwise I'd be lying. So that yeah, so the next one is what what's the best thing you read this week? The best thing I've read this week, I was reading a, an article in works. We we've got a lot going on in work just now to try and help people with their, their mental health and well being. Um and our C our chief exec, our big boss across the whole European network has given up his annual salary to um, help fight COVID, even though the business is in good shape. And that's really inspirational to see someone who didn't need to do that, give that up. And we're talking, you know, he's, he earns quite a lot of money, seven figures, didn't need to do that, but did. Cool. And the last one is what's the best thing you heard this week? It could be something somebody said to you. It could be a piece of music. It's probably going to be a song for you, James, a piece of music. I know you're a big music fan. Well, you know what the song was, Paul? Um, and I, I get the feeling that you were involved in getting it set up was everybody in Matt Hunter's session on Thursday singing happy birthday to me. Normally I get really embarrassed, but it was really, really cool. So I'm taking that. That's good. That was good. That was a good session. Yeah. Wasn't it? it's, it's quite funny to have 50, 50 people on a video call and uh, all singing you happy birthday. Almost wish it was my birthday. Hey, well, I'm going to get you back for that next thing. Yeah. Thanks so much for that, James. And uh, thank you to you for listening. If you'd like to hear more, then please leave us a comment or just share it on social media. We'd love to see where this takes us as there are some great conversations to be had on living the ultra life. And we hope to talk more about the people, the places, the culture and the training behind our running lives. Huge thanks to James Stewart. I'm Paul Giblin and we will talk to you soon. Laters. Laters.